the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. And welcome to Ourgasm, where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender. I am Lindsay. And I am Lenny. And in this episode, we're celebrating spooky season. Halloween, you know what we celebrate as Halloween in the United States, goes back, I think, primarily to Ireland and the UK generally, the way that we celebrate it here. Most of the traditions that we have come from there. Um, but most places and most cultures around the world have a holiday around this time of year. Um, and many of those holidays do involve, you know, being able to speak to or see or cross over to the land of the dead. And I wondered if you, in all of your many studies about culture, which are many more than my studies about culture, if you think that our particular focus on Halloween as spooky season, as like the time to be scared of things. Do you think that's uniquely like an American colonial construct? Or do you think that the idea of, you know, being closer to the dead in many other traditions is also spooky as opposed to, I don't know, just just cool or sacred or... Uh, <laughs> yes, to the American uh the americanized um spookiness of the season um because i mean that's where we are and that's what we know and so ultimately because of you know mass media and you know our own uh need to develop our own traditions within this country that yes we did end up americanizing and um kind of bastardizing like an entire thing and like the spookiness just of like the colonization of these traditions is you know it, that's spooky enough you'll say just because it's the first one that pops into my head Samhain which is a sort of general term for a lot of different pagan and often like neo-pagan traditions is, you know, celebrate on the same day. And it's the same basic idea, right? That you can make contact with the dead um, at that particular time. But I feel like in most Samhain rituals that I know of, it's like, okay, yeah, this is kind of spooky, but there's much more going on here. It's a very sacred time um, where you're yeah. encouraged to make contact with your ancestors. And I, the American version, doesn't have that sacred feel to it. Like I said, it's the bastardization of so many different things that you lose like the ultimate meaning for it in the end. And so you could say the same thing about like food. Uh, like for, for my people, it's very important to recognize that the food existed as life, whether it's a plant or an animal. Mm-hmm. And the life-giving that it um, you know, bestows upon you when you're consuming it is sacred. And that's why we give thanks to our food at every meal. Mm-hmm. But um, 
when you take away the the source and you're getting your food from like a McDonald's, McDonald's being America and Halloween at this time in the way that we celebrate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, then it loses you you don't have that same connection that you would have had when you were as you would if you were celebrating like the way that it was originally celebrated through whichever you know form of it that that you were celebrating right, right. like <laughs> the way that we celebrate Halloween is through candy which is like the most processed farthest away from actual living food <laughs> that you can get (laughs) right um and I mean I think it's pretty obvious that a lot of how we interact with Halloween now has like you said been really influenced by mass media and particularly by advertising like this is candy season yeah we're being sold candy and costumes and that's the main thing that we do around Halloween and decorations yeah um I actually have two bags of Halloween candy hidden under my bed right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hidden for any reason in particular? Uh, Hidden from my children so that (laughs) I can lay in bed and eat it while I watch scary movies because I freaking love scary movies. That is the main thing that we want to talk about. So that segues. I think that I... (laughs) I have been thinking a lot about the horror genre in media in general, in writing and in film and in TV and et cetera. Um, And I, the other day went on Facebook and just asked a general question, which is um, what makes horror different from say like thriller or suspense? And a lot of the answers that I got from people were people saying that, um, that horror is all about the blood and the guts and the gore. Hmm. And some people disagreed with that. I'm not really sure how far that goes, but I thought it was really interesting that that's what people associate with horror because horror is so much a part of this season. And blood and guts really doesn't have anything to do with the original like Samhain or even like Dia de los Muertos or like any of those other celebrations that happen around this time of year and it feels to me like the horror genre that we have in America which is often blood and guts and getting murdered is very very different from the sort of like spirity creepiness well I don't think that's true at all I think like people associate horror with more like slasher films but um I watch so many different kinds of films. I personally love folk horror, uh, like The Witch. I think what horror is ultimately to me, uh, and I can't speak for everyone, I can only speak for myself, is like horror has to have an element of fear in it or or terror. Um, You have to like feel something viscerally like terrifying in order for it to be a horror thing and not necessarily like one person but a group of people so that what's that's what makes it scary is that people are afraid of clowns they were already afraid of clowns before (laughs) it ever came out I don't know it just made them realize that you know what I'm saying yeah so um I don't think that there necessarily has to be like blood and guts I think you can have something that's totally 
not even you don't think that it would be scary in real life uh, and put it into a situation where it can be one of the scariest things that you've ever seen. Think Jordan Peele. Uh, That's really... And like um, us, or no, Get Out. Mm -hmm. Think Get Out and Jordan Peele. One of the scariest scenes that gives me the chills in that film is when um, the dad's walking through the house and he's showing him all of this artwork from all of these different places in in the world that he has and talking about how much he likes black people and how he he voted for Obama twice and all that stuff and that's scary like it gave me like the most horrible horrible feeling in my stomach and that's what horror should do and so for some people it is blood and guts for some people it's ghosts for some people it's um but in the situation that we're going to talk about it today, we're going to talk specifically about sexuality and horror films, right? And and what that means to and like to what is scary, what it means to be um, not only women, but um, to be the other in a horror film because you don't have to, you know, be a vagina haver to be otherized and feel that <laughs> in a film hmm. that's a really interesting take on it like I think that okay I'm gonna be totally honest here I am not nearly as familiar with the horror genre specifically in movies as you are Lenny um I like I know a Actually, a lot of my very close friends and, you know, companions are all huge horror fans, and I never have been. And I feel like there must have been something missing, like, from my childhood or something. (laughs) Like, primarily, I did not watch horror movies as a kid. My parents were absolutely not okay with that. Um, And I think, like, the first film that I saw that I can remember being, like, viscerally horrified by was this very obscure film probably in like the early to mid 90s called The Field. And I I can't remember. I I don't know who was in it. I don't know when it came out, but it was about this man who lived alone on a like rocky coast of, I think it was Ireland. And a developer came by and wanted to buy his land and turn it into like a highway or something. And this farmer like loses it and kills this guy. And the rest of the movie is like him trying to like keep it hidden that he killed this guy. And I think he puts his body in a lake or something. I I don't know, but the, the scene where he's actually killing the guy was so upsetting to me. I got like sick to my stomach. Uh and I had nightmares about it and I had to like I had to leave the room I couldn't be around it anymore but that was maybe it was meant to be a horror movie but I think it was much more like a drama but that was my first experience with horror Uh and I you know I was horrified (laughs) but I think like that being my first entry into it like it was not a fun experience it was not a group viewing like oh we're we're all gonna laugh and yell and like cheer together I was scarred by it so I never really went back to horror as like a thing that I enjoy until very recently and I still have so much catching up to do um 
So that all being said, I have always kind of felt like the horror genre in film, like the classics, especially the slasher type, have felt really male gazy to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's particularly p- because of their treatment of female characters. Yeah, you- I mean, historically, I mean, horror, it's, it's like a genre of subversion. Like the fun of horror is feeling like the resistance to what you're seeing on the screen. And like, like the same way that people feel scared when they're going on like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Uh, ultimately sex and horror have always gone together because they both inspire strong emotional physical reactions but the other thing is is since horror is often related to the body like a lot of people see like these gross monsters or maybe somebody else is changing into like a werewolf becoming um, possessed by something. Like ultimately the thing that makes it scary is that it could happen to you, you know? Right. And so when you talk about the body, you can't talk about the body without talking about sex. Hmm. I mean, you hmm. can, people have done it for centuries, <laughs> but look at good it's done us, it hasn't done us any good. Right. Uh, I mean, horror has been unapologetically, like, openly sexual. And so when we're looking at, like, decolonizing sexuality, it's interesting that we chose this as one of our first ones to talk about because of its, like, interweaving with sex, like, throughout history. I know that it has been male-gazy. I know that, like, women have historically been portrayed as, like, innocent creatures, to be like violated in these films but women actually are the main watchers of these films really Mm -hmm. I had no idea that's so interesting so the horror film industry is actually one of the biggest money-making industries uh, out there and not only does it make money, it doesn't really cost that much to make a horror film Uh, a lot of my favorite horror films have been like on hardly any budget at all and uh they had to like create all of these different kinds of effects to make it happen so you know it doesn't have to be extremely expensive to make but it makes a lot of money but the people Mm. paying all of that money are usually women huh i had i would never have guessed that in a million years yeah uh i think when we it's kind of like that like nerd thing where the guys (laughs) who like it are so into it and also have more opportunity to talk about it than than women do and so it's never really been like thought of as like a woman's genre but the thing is is like not only do women like pay to watch these and uh but like the horror film has actually given more women time on screen than any other genre and more speaking lines like higher on the credits list at the end of the movie than in a lot of movies Uh, which means that these horror films are actually an opportunity for women to be able to go out and qualify to be in unions and stuff like that and so even though um 
they're blatantly sexist historically and that they do have gratuitous female nudity. Yeah. Women have also been able to use the horror genre to climb up in the film industry. That is a really good point. Um, I feel like I should be able to name some female actors that were able to start out in horror films, but I'm not, I don't have that encyclopedic knowledge. Can you think of any who like started out with a bit part? Sigourney um, Weaver. Oh, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like everyone, every actress from uh, the Scream franchise ended up going on to do pretty well. Um, I think I only ever one watched like Scream four because it happened to be on at a friend's house once so I'm not very familiar with that one but that was a big big horror franchise when I was I guess in high school middle school maybe I don't know um but because I like never watched horror films I remember one of my first boyfriends in high school um like I met him you know in a regular social setting and then he started calling my house and pranking me like he was the guy in Scream but I had never seen Scream, so yeah, I had no idea what he was doing. Okay. <laughs> and I was just like, why are you calling me? <laughs> like, what I are know. you doing? And he, he'd so be like, oh, I'm hang up. <laughs> what a creep. I love horror films. I love them. <laughs> but that would creep me out. I'm a creepy person. And that is so gross. I wasn't creeped out at all because I didn't get the joke. I was just like, what are you? Like, I, I know who you are. I can tell this is your voice. Like, why are you calling me? <laughs> it totally didn't work but we ended up dating I don't know it was high school things were weird um okay. so here are some women who got their start on horror film um, movies horror film movies horror movie films yeah <laughs> uh, Eva Mendez oh. lifelong crush on Eva Mendez I <laughs> loved her for so long uh Jessica Lang oh also kind of in love with her she's awesome um she got her start on king kong wow um amy adams i would have never guessed never ever guessed amy adams never in a million years adams damn uh she got her start on psycho beach party <laughs> okay, that is definitely a success story because that's not exactly like a big <laughs> deal horror film. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen, I've seen her <laughs> in horror films and I have enjoyed them thoroughly. Hmm. Um, Demi Moore. Really? Yep, Parasite, 1982. Okay. Sharon Stone. Mm, yeah. Brooke Shields. Oh. That makes sense. I can see that. Julia Louise Dreyfus. Really? Mm-hmm. On Troll in 1986. No way. Uh, <laughs> actually got to perform at Dreyfest, uh, the Julie, Julia Louise Dreyfus one year, and I was really hoping she was going to be there, but it turns out that it's not really dedicated to her. They just changed the name because it used to be Richard Dreyfus, the Richard Dreyfus. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He wasn't there and I didn't get to perform directly to her, but I was, and I was so sad because like, you know, it's my comedic dream to perform to like another awesome comic woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you tried. <laughs> Mila Kunis. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, for those of you out there listening who um, don't know what we look like, uh, I get, I, people say I look like Mila Kunis like all the time. <laughs> okay, just kidding. They don't. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Aniston. Oh, huh. okay. I'm getting, I'm getting a strong, attractive blonde woman vibe from a lot of these. She's on the leprechaun. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, Mariska Hargitay. No way. And here's <laughs> one that both of us would absolutely love. Got her start in 1985 in horror film, Jennifer Conley. Wow. That's, that's like the same time, right around the same time that she was doing Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. But I bet way more people saw the horror movie than saw Labyrinth in the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just imagining David Bowie's final form in that. <sighs> I'll take a moment. And just yeah. think about it. Get it out of your system. I take a five second, uh, five seconds of silence for David Bowie's final form. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, yeah, now I'm a little turned on. Of my, it, it's out of my system. I'll talk to you about that later. Anyway, that's <laughs> after. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Patricia Arquette. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Renee Zellweger. Hmm. Yeah. And oh, boy. I one. bet Renee Zellweger has a great scream. I bet you she does. It's actually a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. Oh, okay. <laughs> so okay i have seen texas chainsaw massacre i have seen it both the old and the new although i didn't see the second half of the new it movie yet um i have seen god i don't even i don't even know i have very i have seen very few classic horror movies i've seen alien and aliens oh yeah like ripley yes um what are some other Classics. I've seen The Exorcist. Um, I've seen Poltergeist. I've mm -hmm. seen The Shining. Mm -hmm. That's kind of it. There's probably a few others that I'm not thinking of. Psycho? But I'm... No, I've never seen Psycho. Ooh, you should watch Psycho. It's I really good. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm coming from like way, way far behind where you're at on <laughs> this whole discussion. Okay, believe it or not, I didn't know, I've, I've watched horror movies and had fun watching horror movies, but I didn't really, I mean, I grew up on a reservation. So all I had was whatever was available to me in like the reservation, um, like movie rental place. We didn't have... We didn't even have like access to cable on the reservation until like the wow. mid to late 90s. Oh, wow. And Damn. so everything that I did watch, I had to watch, like I hadn't seen hardly anything. Like I felt like I saw a lot of horror films. But when I met uh, James, my husband, um, he, he was a horror movie fanatic and had been watching them since like the early 80s, like forever. And so I never really, so like I, he started introducing me to all of the ones that I hadn't seen before. And then now I'm rewatching them as a filmmaker and seeing all of them in an entirely different light. And so it's awesome. I, I love it. If there was anything more fun to be like well-versed in, this is the thing for me. <laughs> so 
All right, let's talk, let's break down some of the, like the treatments of gender in horror movies. And I think like going into this, we have to be clear that we're, we're aware that there are like so many different kinds of horror movies. Um, I think that when I talk about gender roles in horror movies, the, the thing that I tend to fall back on is sort of the like 80s, 90s slasher film setup where you have the jock, the nerd, occasionally the stoner or, you know, party kid. Um, and then you have the slut, the virgin, and the final girl. Well, usually the virgin is the final girl. Usually, right. Uh, but in some of them, they try and subvert that. And the hua is the final girl. Uh, I um, very much associate with the horror final girl character myself. But um, ultimately what that comes down to is like the final. Okay, so the final girl is a specific thing. And it's yeah, let's talk about the final girl. Yeah. Uh, so the final girl could be anyone. They could be like the babysitter. They could be, but what it comes down to is um, that women in horror films are uh, usually assigned um, a sex drive without their knowledge. And that sex drive defines their treatment through the rest of the film. Hmm. And so originally the final girl becomes the final girl by completely erasing her sexuality. Okay, this sounds right. <laughs> so in horror films, usually men, doesn't have to be men. And I have a whole, but like that's a whole nother episode on itself. <laughs> but uh, assert their authority by killing women. Right, yeah. And it also happens a lot in real life, just say. Uh, yeah, and I will totally get to that point. <laughs> that is an extremely, extremely important point to make. Okay. Um, but in a horror film, the weapon is never just a weapon. The knife is never just a knife. It is something that is used to penetrate something. Mm -hmm. uh, the blood is never usually just blood it's usually a metaphor for something or it means something like it could mean the hymen it could mean menstrual blood but in horror films it means something else hmm. uh, skin is there just skin if you're referring directly to skin it usually means something more like membrane ew membrane yeah. is a terrible word <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so um, in order to become a final girl, you have to erase your sexuality and ultimately penetrate the penetrator. Whoa. Wait, so like the final girl basically needs to like peg the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like this. All right, tell me more. Okay, so women are actually just people. Uh, all people, not just in horror films, but in real life, are defined from the outside by how they are seen by men. Mm, right. Okay. Yes. And this, this, by the way, we should make clear, is very much from the colonial male gaze. Like, assuming that, yeah. that you know, a white English-speaking cis-het guy yes, is yeah. your viewer. 
Yep. Or is your director. We should always just assume that that's the thing because that's the thing. Right. Because that's the world we live in (laughs) at the moment. And I am a, I mean, I'm a queer woman of color. Like, let's just put it that way. So I've seen (laughs) it on like all these different levels. And ultimately what it comes down to is recognizing that this is the reality and then calling it out in order to change that reality. As such, the fear of sexual liberation is partly that women will develop desires that don't include these men, the people who are viewing us, the people whose eyes that we are seeing ourselves through. So the final girl erasing her sex drive, which is more or less assumed to be heterosexual, Mm -hmm. like by removing her desire for the the man who's either making the movie or stalking her through the movie or, you know, what have you, she therefore becomes powerful. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I think I'm following. But the problem with that is that that power usually makes her a monster. So when you see the same character in further films, the monster is pursuing her as though she is another monster. Oh my god, aliens! Yeah, you can't have power uh, as a woman and not be seen as a monster. Hmm. Okay. I mean, you can, but in the horror film universe, this is how it works. As I see it, uh, this is not, my views are not necessarily the views of anyone else, but this is the way that I see it. Okay. And so that's why we see like gender fluidity is unnatural. And uh, that's because sexuality exists only with white, straight, Anglo, male, like permission. Right. With their pleasure in mind. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so women are indoctrinated from birth to forgive this behavior. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why women who live like men or have like male attributes are not only usually becoming the final girl, but they're also considered selfish and therefore worthy of death, can never be wifed because they're ruined where they're spoiled in some way. Huh. I mean, that's something that I always think about anytime I'm watching a horror anything and there's a final girl character at the end. I always spend a significant amount of time at the end of the movie thinking, oh my God, she's never going to be okay again. Like she's never going to have a normal life. Yeah, well, look at um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Halloween? I think I did once, but I was probably like very high because I don't remember it very clearly. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween is basically um, pursued, outwits, uh, resists penetration, outwits the killer, ultimately penetrates the killer. Those are the rules of a final girl. But in the new Halloween where they revisit her, where she is now, she's a grandmother, but she's alone. And she has always had severe anxiety for like the entire rest of her life. She's never been the same again. And she's still being pursued as a monster by the monster. Because now he sees her as one of his kind. 
uh, not even as an equal, just um, he's mad because he doesn't see her as an equal and is emasculated and needs to re oh. remasculate himself by killing her. Is that a word? Is that a thing? It should be. We should definitely make that a word. Remasculate. Um, but as essentially like the big message for horror film is that sex is bad, especially when it's uh, female or homosexual sex. Even though there has been like a like push to change that in horror film now. I don't think people realize how many horror films are coming out right now. So like everyone's seeing a push in like mainstream horror that is like, oh, everything's getting so much better. But it's not because there are so many more horror films coming out now that are still problematic, mm. as problematic as they always have been yeah uh, in in that specific light huh so can we talk a little bit about like okay I'm gonna just try to put this from my perspective so yeah. when we talk about something being subversive the way that I interpret that is like this is literally seeking to upend the way that things are. Um, and because I tend to come at it from a sexuality informed feminist perspective, I always think, okay, subversion means you're trying to topple the patriarchy. Okay, so in this case, in horror films, horror is always uh, is a great way to look at the reflection of society. Uh, what society is thinking at the time and so actually all film is but horror film specifically focuses on the fears of society of the time and so when you're watching a horror film it usually does not really mean what you're seeing on screen it could mean um war happening in another place and this is like what the writer um wrote like the monster is usually like the thing that Americans see as bad and mm -hmm. um the hero is usually some type of archetypal like Americanized version of what is good right speaking specifically to American horror film when we're looking at like subverting or subversion um we're seeing like the the writers saying oh okay so look at the twilight zone when mm -hmm. we're watching the twilight zone we're seeing kind of like the way that society is bad and the writer was working like writing in a way to try and correct what they see in society as the bad thing mm -hmm. we we talked about get out earlier where He's showing us our own monsters, basically. Right, yeah. In ourselves. And uh, kind of forcing people to, like, look and see, like, what that looks like through other perspectives. Mm -hmm. and, and horror film, really good horror films do that. Really, really bad horror films, like, say, Sharknado, <laughs> <laughs> are just there. To be there there isn't any message behind it and you can tell like it's just kind of funny to watch and we just watch it to laugh at it right. um, films that are really scary that really scare you there's a reason for that 
Hmm. And that's a really good point. Yeah, they're playing on the, they're playing on our fears that we have in society. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Because so when you were talking about how, you know, horror films can and often are, can be and often are problematic, I was like, how do you be subversive and problematic at the same time? Um, everything I think always has like a light side and a dark side. Uh, <laughs> We're going deep here, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that everything has like a balance that it needs to, it need, you need to do stuff to like meet that balance. Right now, we feel that society is very unbalanced. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we have anxieties right now that are much higher statistically than we would in a normal year. I, I was kind of joking about the light side and the dark side because my husband, it's like an inside joke where my husband always has to bring everything back around to Star Wars. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but what it comes down to is that's what we're doing in horror film. I say we're, I am also a filmmaker, is we're reflecting, um, reflecting the flaws of society within our films yeah. if we want it to be a good film. The biggest problem that I see... Uh, because like I said there is a dark side is that value is placed on sexuality so like there's a higher value placed on say virginity and so the killer sees that there's a greater risk reward for the virgin and so she is uh, she's saved for life because there's a greater risk reward for her right yeah and ultimately she ends up figuring shit out by the end and there yeah. survives and remains pure impurity equals good and the killer or the bad guy or the big bad in this equals evil and pure always overcomes pureness or goodness overcomes evil and so there's that kind of like need to have balance in a horror film as well hmm. it's always at the expense of um you know, female and non-binary people. Right. Yeah. So I feel like in most horror films, you know, the the main characters are all straight. Um, although I'm sure there are examples of horror movies where, you know, one of the members of the group is queer. And I feel pretty certain that in most cases, they're one of the first to die. Um, just like if you have, you know, a person of color as one of your main cast members, they're almost always one of the first to die. Um, yeah. And along with the sluts, and usually the slut and the jock together, because usually they're having sex and the killer like sneaks up on them while they're having sex. Right? So, Am I right about this? Am I just looking it up? Let's talk about like killing. Let's talk about killing in horror film. Okay. Okay. So killing, the way that a character is killed almost always reflects the flaws of the victim. The reason why this is problematic is for men, men can die like in these extremely atrocious but hilarious ways based on like whatever sin they're committing. But women are almost always killed based on their sexuality. Yeah. When it comes to like killing in horror films because it revolves around sexuality and because it, for women and non-binary people. We don't really ever get any type of humanization to those characters. All we see is their gender and then what they do with that gender. 
Right. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, yeah, I'm like recalling all these scenes where the the slut character, quote unquote, like is basically having sex with the guy. And so they're both distracted and she's almost always killed like during sex. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. her main personality trait. It's really, uh, I think the reason why this genre is so followed by women is because um, whether your guard is down or whether your guard is up, your guard, like for the people having sex, uh, their guard is down or for like the final girl whose guard is always up. It doesn't matter what precautions that uh, that you're taking, something bad can still happen to you. And ultimately, you can still be blamed for that bad in reality. And a lot of times we do see in the end with the women ending up in like an insane asylum or something because nobody believes them or um, having problems for the rest of their lives. Even in the Scream franchise, this happens. And the escalation to the murder point um, usually starts out with predatory attention. Oh, yeah. And then levels up to sexual object objectification, like fairly quickly. And then having to meet these impossible standards of either living up to the expectations of the the killer or, well, I mean, ultimately that's what it is. You are, the killer is not expecting you to survive. You know, it's infuriating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that maybe one reason that women are such avid watchers of the horror genre is that like most people who identify as female or queer in kind of any way, you know, queering the gender or um, social or sexual orientation, um, you know, people who are more or less othered are very familiar with that experience of being watched and having to perform perfectly to be legitimate. 100%. Exorcism films usually happen like in puberty where girls are like triggering their guys' activity somehow with menstrual blood or something. And the real horror behind all of these is that um, we're kind of seeing what we see in the world like amplified in a horror film. Like I said, there's the sexual attention, there's the objectification, there's having to live up to the standards. But what it comes down to is regardless of your social status, women have to uh, deal with this on a daily basis. And so when we watch horror films, which are dominated by like, male monsters now even months even though a lot of those monsters started out as female like in early horror film it kind of signals to us that our social status our human value and our entire survival is contingent on men and so by seeing ourselves like fighting against that and seeing like a final girl trope succeeding in the end right uh, we're able to like feel like maybe we're the final girl in our own life story right yeah but like on the way to that we generally are watching the quote-unquote slut get horribly murdered for her sexuality 
And the thing that I have always found interesting is that very often the slut character, she basically has two personality traits, one being that she's sexually active mm-hmm. and the other one being that she's popular. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're usually high school age-ish and the popular girl is the one who's having the sex. And I definitely feel as someone who was definitely not in the popular crowd, you know, in high school or ever, <laughs> like there is a certain really gross satisfaction in being able to watch like the girl that everyone wanted to be in high school, but nobody got to be watching her get her, you know, quote unquote, comeuppance. I think also like the men who are writing some of these like big horror films that we've seen, especially like in the nineties, when they see a popular girl, like they see that she is well liked Mm -hmm. by the rest of the, their peers and that reason couldn't possibly be because she's funny right she's smart and witty it's clearly Mm -hmm. because she's giving it away and right written like that in these films and I think that because we have been like kind of trained to think in the way of the dominant society sometimes those of us because I was not popular in high school as well, who had been like looked over despite being funny and smart. It feels sometimes you're placing sexuality on as the reasoning for their right. comeuppance in, yeah. you know, in, in wherever they're popular. That actually really brings up like a point that I don't think I've ever really thought about from that perspective before that like media generally particularly Hollywood media has really trained us to understand that the popular girl is the slutty girl because that's all she has to offer like you never and that that has been played out again and again like in the dominant culture for centuries you know smart women um ambitious women funny women you know women who have like strong personality traits that are not just based on sex very much are pushed to the side and shouted down and laughed at and you know shoved under the table and then women who have sex as a strong personality trait are like literally killed quite often and you know I don't know what the right word is, but they're cast aside just as much as everyone else. Unworthy of living. But I have to say, in real life, I was funny, ambitious, smart, unpopular, and also Mm -hmm. sexually aggressive. I don't know, not aggressive. (laughs) I was just, I owned my sexuality from a very, very young age. And I was okay with it. And I was taught that that was okay. And so... I feel like I didn't have that vulnerability. And so I've always been able to look past like that whole, okay, this is ridiculous. And obviously like we're seeing this through a man's perspective and seeing that he thinks that that's why she's popular. But it does bother me a lot. I guess I never really thought about the outsized role that media has had on our understanding of what makes a woman popular. Like, basically, she needs to be receptive to having sex with the appropriate men. If they're not, then 
they're they they have control I think that's what it comes down to is loss of control over oneself I feel like as a sexually liberated woman from a younger age like late teens although I was also a teen mom but (laughs) (laughs) so like don't do that but uh I was um, yeah, I was, I feel like I was sexually liberated as like a late teenager and in my twenties. And I feel like maybe I was even in more control because I took it upon myself to know more about like sex mm-hmm. than other girls my age might have been doing. Yeah. Um, but men want to make you seem like you're out of control if you are owning your sexuality. Right. Because they are the ones that are supposed to be in control of your sexuality. And if they're not, well, then nobody can be. Um, Okay, so something that we haven't talked about, but I started thinking about when you mentioned it um, a little bit ago, is that, so my favorite subgenre, I guess, of horror is ghost stuff. I freaking love ghosts. Me too. I like the creepy, spooky, oh my God, did something just move? Mm -hmm. Like, that's my favorite genre. And I feel like the vast majority of the time, the ghosts, the creepy demons, et cetera, are either women or children. Like the main mover and shaker in a ghost movie is almost never the ghost of a grown man. Or natives. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's always very much the other. Yeah. Or the kids because they're just extra creepy. Oh yeah, kids are just creepy, and I think that that's why. Like, that, is, that is for sure a thing. I have children; they are creepy. <laughs> My kids are especially creepy, I think, because I'm creepy. But yeah, agreed. Can attest. <laughs> ten out of ten. But, I mean, obviously, the reason why ghosts are usually the other—not always, but usually—is because we are living and we're seeing. We don't know what's going to happen to ourselves after death and it's almost more terrifying especially now in 2020 to think that we would be stuck like in one place like stuck living on in 2020 in a loop forever Uh, and so like that in itself is scary ghosts kind of have like these powers that humans don't have that we could never understand they have like the ability to move without anybody seeing them they have which means that they can do things to you that you wouldn't be able to stop right yeah yeah i think that's what that comes down to uh not necessarily Mm. because you can't see them but because you can't stop them you just can't huh so do you think that ghosts very often being you know the other is aimed is 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 that way because we're assuming that the person watching this is you know a cisgender heterosexual white man and so the the ghost being the other makes it extra scary because they're like unknowable yeah but well because they don't know what it maybe because they don't under like that's the way that they can feel that kind of like helplessness yeah right that's the whole (laughs) thing like as a queer woman a grown white man does not have to be a ghost to be scary like slasher films 
they're primary. I mean, they're all white male, generally like heterosexual serial killers. They're already scary. They don't have to be undead. They just have to be able to like walk slowly toward you while you run away from them. And that's all you need, right? Like any woman or queer person who has ever been like walking down the street alone at night and, you know, some regular looking dude starts walking behind you, you know how terrifying that can be. Um, if the ghost or the demon or whatever is a female character, I tend to feel for them. I want to know their story. I want to know what happened to them. That's why movies like um, The Others are so good because you, the whole way through the film, are identifying with the haunters, but you don't realize that they're the haunters until the end. And yeah, you think the hauntees. Right. But you, you know, by the time it's revealed that they're actually the ghosts, you have totally identified with them. You've identified with this woman and her children. And I think it's a brilliant twist. But like, I, I feel that when I'm watching a movie with a ghost in it, like, I'm identifying with the ghost, because I'm not, I'm not your quote unquote, stereotypical, like, cishet white male viewer but it sounds like they're not actually the typical viewers anyway so but I mean I do I think that's what it comes down to is like this is the best way that people can like make themselves feel or um understand what it feels like to be in danger Mm. and for those of us who already know what it feels like to be in danger it's a way for us to uh, feel in danger but reconcile with that feeling through the arc of the hero hmm. yeah so god that's a weird that's like a mind fuck right there <laughs> like, <laughs> to really you know try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't normally feel like they're in danger just in their everyday life you know, like, that's a whole thought experiment. Um, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. I want to ask, what are our alternatives? Like, what are some horror films that don't display this kind of, like, extremely colonial American mindset about gender and sexuality? But I'm also wondering, like, you know, do we need alternatives? Like, is it okay to just really enjoy this in horror? Like, I, I guess one of the questions that I always have if I'm watching a horror movie and I'm like watching generally a woman's body be horribly brutalized, you know, and like all of the skin that you're seeing on her body is being like defiled in some way. Like I being a politically minded person and a feminist and very often just like, this is, this is not fun for me. Like I don't enjoy watching this part. Um, I think that people like what they like and they don't like what they don't like and um, either you can step out of your comfort zone and explore those feelings deeper and find out why you don't like them or why you do like them even and um, or you just don't I mean there's no rules in society that are really real, except for maybe don't murder. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't like, don't actually like, yeah, fillet people. <laughs> you can fillet people. Oh yeah, totally. That's okay. <laughs> We're all about the fillating. Well, I, 
I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the word is. I guess kind of mind blown about what you said about the fact that for a lot of female identified actors, horror is the foot in the door. Um, because I never thought about it that way. And it is one of those like kind of double-edged swords that exist in the world for female identified people where like, okay, yeah, maybe you'll get a lead role in a film. So that's good for your career. But that lead role was, you know, is going to involve you taking off your top, um, which you may or may not be comfortable with and being brutally murdered. So it's like, well, you know, I guess you got to pay your dues if you want to get where you want to go but given that Hollywood is an extremely male-dominated extremely sexist place to be paying your dues usually means doing something that you know maybe your grandma wouldn't approve of (laughs) and then I guess depending on who you are and who your grandma is you have to decide whether that's worth it for you or not um and I just I just find that really interesting because I'm all for showing more women, more, um, more upfront, like represented, you know, at the top of the credits list and just being on screen more, getting more speaking lines. Like I'm all for all of that. Um, But it's really interesting to think that in order to get there, a lot of people had to do things that maybe they wish they hadn't done afterward. And that also makes me think like, well, maybe it shouldn't matter if they did that or not. But, you know, in the world we live in, it often does. I mean, as an actress, I know that as a brown, middle-aged queer woman, uh, that I'm not going to get offered as many parts as I would get offered if I were somebody else. Mm -hmm. But um, sometimes you have to take certain parts to make, to be able to afford dinner that week or whatever. Right. Um, And so I feel like people who knew that they were going to be able to get a speaking role in a horror film uh, were going to be able to make dinner that week, but then it also ended up escalating their careers because they were able to... um, you know, join a union and get more parts that way. You know, it's, yeah. there's the people who realize that that's the way that they could climb and went for that to start with and, and were yeah. able to like be able to get bigger roles, bigger and bigger roles because of that. I'm just saying sometimes you don't have a choice in which parts of the job, you don't get to pick and choose as, yeah. you know, as women, which parts of the job that you're going to get. Right. You can, but you're probably not going to eat that week. Right. <laughs> and them's the breaks. Yep. Like, I don't know, horror, good or bad for us? What do you think? I think it's good for us. I think it's like a great outlet to, uh, and it's a safe, like it's a good and safe outlet for the most part. Again, mm-hmm. with everything, there is always um you know exceptions to the to this fact but um it's a really great way to sit in your own living room and safely like kind of let out some of the steam that we have like Mm. all the time and I would say that in like pre-pandemic times and hopefully again in the future uh the experience of watching a horror film in the theater 
is like a, it's very much a group experience. Like there's a very, um, there's a very communal aspect to watching a horror film with a group of people. Oh yeah, um, totally. And I feel like that definitely serves a purpose. I'm trying to, I saw a horror film in a huge theater in Harlem once everybody was screaming and gasping and laughing at all the right times. And it just, it amped up the experience of the film so much higher than it would have been if I'd been watching it at home. It was a very scary movie, but the experience of watching it was actually, I think, less horrifying for me because I could feel that I wasn't alone in my experience of it. And that made it less scary. Being able to watch it with a group lets you ignore like your your own fears while like simultaneously like reinforcing them it's okay to be afraid of this thing in this group of people Mm -hmm. uh, because everybody's watching it with you and everybody's experiencing it with you yeah in that way it's maybe kind of like a a modern day version of like you know storytelling storytelling that reinforces cultural mores you know like as it has been in so many cultures for so long which we pretty much have mass media for that now in modern American culture so it's like Um, reinforcing ways to be and not to be to the group the other thing is is that we're so like with every other area of our life we're like not allowed to talk about sex we're not allowed to own sexuality or anything and Mm -hmm. so like being able to watch horror films which are like usually inherently sexual in some way allows us to experience like that forbidden thing that we're not allowed to talk about and ultimately our goal is to make it more okay to talk about these things in the world so that you don't have to go to a horror film to like <laughs> kind of like hear people talking about it and see women on screen and right um, see some boobs on screen <laughs> yeah the thing that I find most hilarious is I think that like men see menses mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the way that men see our menstruation yeah um men's like yeah <laughs> it's like the way that they are afraid of it is so different than the way that it's horrifying to us <laughs> for real <laughs> oh my god <laughs> when we watch horror films where like the period and like going through that change is seen through like a male gaze versus going through your first period yourself there are like two entirely different kinds of horror there (laughs) and it's like (laughs) hilarious to think of like this girl is turning into a werewolf versus like holy shit I am actually bleeding to death right now (laughs) and And I literally what's going on right and I literally cannot make it stop like there's an endless well (laughs) yes yeah, and it really is interesting, like, when you, I, I'm not going to recall where this came from, but, like, it was probably a tweet or something a few years ago, where it just said, people with uteruses are so much more hardcore than people without, because people without uteruses have probably never woken up in a pool of their own blood and been like, oh, man, not again. <laughs> <laughs> they would be so horrified, and we're like, ugh gotta gotta do laundry 
Yeah. <laughs> but especially if we're talking about like monarchy, if we're going to bring all the, the textbook terms in, um, yeah. you know, when you first start menstruating that it is, it's like, it's not just an upsetting like body experience. It's like, oh God, I'm actually literally entering a new phase of my life. I am becoming a fundamentally different person. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're told that we're supposed to believe. And so like the body or of thinking about becoming an entirely different person, that in itself is like an entirely horrifying thing to navigate. I mean, you're not turning into a completely different person. You're still the same person that you are always. Yeah, well, and one of the you're just bleeding now and now you're scared to be <laughs> shitty and <laughs> and yeah like your body's gonna go through some changes you're probably gonna get real angry you know like you do um but like I, you know one of the one of the things that I think like the dominant culture really lacks that many other cultures now and in the past have had is like a coming of age ceremony yeah for people who have just experienced menarche, you know, et cetera. Like, um, we are told that we're going to become a different person. We're told that this is a huge change. And then for most of us, at least for me and my sisters, I know, it was more like, oh, look, that happened. Okay, well, you know, here's a pad, here's a tampon. And Don't that was ever it. talk about this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like, it was such a letdown. I was hide, like, well, hide the fact that you're bleeding from everybody in the world. Don't ever right. let them know. They're like, oh God, go get in the shower. Ooh, yeah. You know, if you pass like, between two men while you're on your period, both of them might die. Like, <laughs> Don't cook food while you're on your period. Just go sit on a hay bale somewhere and just like, don't move. I was so let down. I wanted there to be like, maybe not a party where like we invited all my friends or anything, but you know, like it would have been cool if my mom and my grandma or, you know, some of the women in my life had like gotten together and like talked to me about it. You know, it would have felt like an actual thing had happened, but as it was, I felt like it was so built up as this huge moment in your life. And then it just happened and it was over. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to interpret this in my own life at all. And I know that, you know, for a lot of other cultures, there have been and still are actual like ceremonies that you go through that are like, here's an important moment. Let's put it into context for you so that you know what it means for you as part of this group. Yeah. And I feel like I missed that even though I never had it. I didn't get an explanation. I stole tampons from the nurse's office for months before my mom realized that I had had it. And then um, she's like, so you know what's going on? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, okay. The thing that freaked me out and the thing that like was messed up for me and and there, there is a genre of horror films for this, uh, also mostly told by men. Uh, <laughs> Surprise. <historically>. <laughs> but was childbirth and pregnancy Mm. that is a freaky time in your life yeah oh my god I have not gone through this by the way listeners this is not an experience of mine so I am just gonna agree with you that it sounds fucking terrifying to me (laughs) six live births yeah and and, uh like natural life births and none of them and and a set of them were twins and like I said one of them was a teen pregnancy 
Mm-hmm. And so like the whole thing was terrifying, but there is a whole genre of horror film attributed specifically to this. And um, one of the most famous like cult classics for this is Eraserhead, which oh. is not, you don't actually see like a pregnancy happen. It's more of like a coming into fatherhood, which I think is in Eraserhead as scary as motherhood was for me. <laughs> Interesting. To this day. That movie freaked me out. And I watched it while I was pregnant with my last child. Um, <laughs> that explains some things. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Eraserhead. Um, but knowing what I know about David Lynch, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah, motherhood itself is scary. I think another good horror film that talks about that is um, Heredity. Mm, that I, don't, was, I haven't watched that one either. Uh, not about pregnancy and labor, but about having children and what it means to be a mother and specifically what it means to be a good mother. And or that's what I took from it. Yeah. And it was horrifying. It's the same mm. director who directed Midsummer. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I remember hearing about it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Which I huh. also thought that that was a very empowering film, right? identified with the bad guys <laughs> yeah. identify with the bad guys in the film <laughs> as the other yeah um, that's really interesting and I feel like that is probably like a whole series of podcasts unto itself like the the serious weirdness of motherhood and how how it has been somehow also othered in media like absolutely when killers are exposed for their crimes usually the mother is the first one to be criticized for it mm-hmm. or like look at this person did a bad thing who shall we point a finger at to blame and it's almost right. always the mothers yeah that's a really good point and, and like real life i mean so if something turns out wrong with your child in pregnancy books in real life and on pregnancy websites and stuff you're told what to eat what not to eat Mm -hmm. um you're told what you shouldn't sew things you shouldn't you know (laughs) cross water I don't know (laughs) I can't remember (laughs) all of these things that crossing water might be something entirely different but I think that's vampires or something I don't know (laughs) (laughs) um the yeah I mean you're told like all of these things that you shouldn't do or else your child isn't going to turn out right and even like female like fetuses are considered like vampiric they steal the mother's beauty and stuff like that so like there's all these rules all these myths and stories and stuff that talk about like what you you know what's right and what's wrong and if your child doesn't turn out as like a perfect human specimen in the end it's always the mother's fault and that's all so very much top-down thinking you know being told how you must do pregnancy and how you must yeah. behave and you know and that's well where's the top I don't know probably the white dudes <laughs> probably the ones telling you what you should be doing even though it's an experience that they know nothing about yeah and here we are 
<laughs> when bringing it back around. around. Yeah. Brought it back around to those guys. And, you know, just for like anyone out there listening, if you are a white cisgender heterosexual male, I just want to take this moment to say there is nothing inherently wrong with you. You are not necessarily an evil person. Um, I don't want the fact that we often bring it around to, you know, old white dudes to be like a deterrent for people listening to this because we're all part of the same system. You know, we're all part of the same culture and we're all hurt by it. Some more than others, some less than others, but like, you know, we need to be able to look at the power structures that exist and how they affect us in order to really understand ourselves and the world in which we live. And that applies equally to all of us. So I don't know, I just, I think it's important to make it clear that if you're like a white dude, we want you to listen to this just as much as anybody else. Um, so please, when we talk about white dudes, don't don't think that we're literally like pointing our finger directly at you as an individual and saying that you're the reason everything is bad. <laughs> Cause that's oh, not what oh. we're saying. What it comes down to is when we say the patriarchy, we're talking about a system. We're not talking about a yeah. specific person. So, right. and systems, specifically this system isn't sustainable without people who are willing to stand up again. Like yeah. When people stand up against systems like this, then we realize that none of the rules are real none of those pregnancy rules except maybe the sushi thing like you probably shouldn't eat raw fish while you're pregnant but and water definitely don't go over water don't don't cross (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like historically males um a specific type of male has been a biological elite as soon as people acknowledge that and realize that it's supported by white supremacy, capitalism, and heterosexuality that uphold it. And monogamy, yes. (laughs) Uh, That when we refuse to cede our, like, autonomy to that, the whole thing Mm. falls apart. And we are 100% proof of that. I mean, we're polyamorous. We both have our our own, um, you know, straight white males. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes uh, it's true partners <laughs> we like them yeah <laughs> see <laughs> I, I do yeah see uh and um but we refuse to necessitate it and yeah allow its existence and so we are able to say that those rules don't exist and yeah and by by just being together and making this podcast where hopefully showing other yeah. people that they don't need to necessitate it either yeah and you know burn this motherfucker down that's that's oh, the yeah. idea and yeah. and we hope that whoever you are listening to this you also want to do that and you know picking apart some of these topics that we're going to tackle is one way of making that happen so yeah anyway yeah. so what's the next topic we're going to talk about well i'm not sure because like i just realized over the last like five minutes in the back of my head that we didn't even talk about like we didn't get into werewolves we didn't talk about vampires and the sexuality and gender roles in like those types of monsters are so fascinating so now I kind of want to do that um but we could maybe skip to something that's not 
for and come back to that another time I think so I think I think that I could talk about that all day every single day and I usually do and (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah I think pick another topic and we'll talk about it next time oh boy so it's a wild card folks we'll see what comes next well we'll figure it out after we stop recording but you won't know until next time yeah all right well this has been another episode of ourgasm where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender um and a lot of that has to do with media um So that's what we talked about this time, horror media. Next time, we'll talk about some other thing that holds up the patriarchy and why we shouldn't believe that it's real. Uh, And I'm Lindsay. And I'm Lenny. And we'll be back next time. See you then. See you then. Your eyes cast a spell that bewitches. The last time I needed 20 stitches To sew up the gash that you made with your lash As we dance to the masochism tango Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain Then kick me once again and say we'll never part I know too well I'm underneath your spell So darling if you smell something burning it's my heart Excuse me. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kiss tango.